Welcome to Being Church, a weekly online conversation hosted by ELCA Coaching Ministry with hosts Jill Beverlin, Jason O'Neill, and Tammy Devine. This episode on truth and healing for the sake of Indigenous people, recorded July 8, 2020, features Vance Black Fox, an Indigenous theologian, citizen of the Cherokee Nation, and director of Other Wise. Today's speaker has offered to lead us in our time of centering and also to introduce himself. So, without further delay, Vance, thank you for being with us. Thank you, Jill. It's really great to be here. I see some familiar faces here in these rooms, and if not faces, names. So good to be amongst friends. Cece, I see you smiling. Um, I am just really also pleased to be making new friends today, even if by Zoom and virtually. Thank you for welcoming welcoming me into this circle, Um, and I come friendly, so thank you for welcoming me. Um, likewise. I just want to um, say, Vance Black Fox, it's good to be here with all of you today. Um, my name is Vance Black Fox. My Cherokee name is Delanche, and I am a citizen of the Cherokee Nation. Um, I am the son of Anita, the, great, the, the grandson of Sharon, the great-grandson of Oklahoma, Rebecca, the great-great-grandson of Bertha, and the great-great-great-grandson of of Anna, and um, I would be remiss and um, in lots of trouble if I did not, um, because I know Jason or somebody else would tell my mama that I didn't do that. Um, acknowledge the women, um, as we are matriarchal, matrilineal, tribal people um, in the Cherokee Nation, to acknowledge those women from whom I come and whose stories I carry and whose spirit I carry with me um, as I um, attempt to travel. Um, through this this uh, time in history of Mother Earth, on Mother Earth, I do want to say a quick prayer for us today um, as we gather. Um, as I sh- before, I share some more words. Um, I'm going to um, acknowledge presently that I am sitting in San Antonio, what is now known as San Antonio, Texas, um, but what will always be known as Yanaguana, or the lands of both the Tonkawa people and the Koetekan, the Tapilam Koetekan peoples. Um, so it's important to acknowledge the land that I'm on and the peoples who, who stewarded for millennia and millennia, generations upon generations, um, the land that I live on now. So I have some sage here with me um, that was harvested and gifted to me from um, the lands of New Life Lutheran Church. Some of you may have heard of New Life Lutheran Church, which is the outdoor church here in Dripping Spring, Texas. Um, so I'm not from here. These are not originally my lands. Um, my folks are originally from what we now know as Georgia and North Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky, and, and all parts east, um, and um, been, have been, been moved to Oklahoma. We would normally, as a Cherokee people, uh, use medicines like tobacco or cedar. Um, but today, because I am in Yanaguana territory, I do want to utilize the sage to bless our time together. So I'm going to light some sage, and I'm going to, um, as I smudge, I'm just say a, a few words of um, um, blessing for us, if that's okay with you folks. Pray with me. Creator God, great spirit, we give you thanks today for the opportunity to be gathered in this circle. We give you thanks for all the wonderful leaders um, that are gathered in this space, those folks who lead congregations and communities and villages in their own spaces. 
But we all be open to hearing good words this day. Um, may we receive good medicine from one another as we share um, our thoughts on how to be in better relationships with one another and to care and love one another as your created beings here in this place on Mother Earth. All these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Greetings again, OCO. I am just really thrilled to be here. Um, I've been hearing about all this incredible coaching stuff that has been going on in the ELCA. Um, and so I want to say thank you to Jill and Jason for um, inviting me to be a part of um, this time with all of you who are part of this coaching um, experience, whether it be as a coach or as someone who is seeking some opportunity to grow um, through coaching, um, I think is very important. I do have um, some graduate experience in leadership development, and a big portion of my studies was about coaching and how um, to receive coaching just as much um, um, as I learned how to do a little coaching. And so um, I like to think that I can take some coaching. Um, and I'm so glad to see other witnesses do the same. Right now, um, as Jill mentioned, um, and as you folks maybe have been covering over the last few um, weeks, um, conversations about racial injustice um, and racial inequality, um, and then just the need to talk about racial equity. Um, and that really is the, the perspective that I oftentimes come from when I have these conversations. For those of you who do not know, um, me as well as others might. Um, some of you on this um, Zoom chat or Zoom meeting, I have been knowing for 30, 30 plus years. Uh, I started working in the church as an elected leader when, um, uh, when I was very young. And so it's been 35 years that I've been serving the church in some capacity. Um, I know, how can that be? I only look 35. Like, you know, how can I serve for 35 years if I only look 35? I know I get it. I understand. Um, but um, but to be but to be honest, um, it feels like seventy years that I've been serving the church, um, and I hate to say that because the reality is is that I'd like to think that my time working in the church um, would be full of joy and, and incredible experiences, and and while those certainly have happened. Um, whether it be through the opportunities I've had to lead as a young person or the, the, the opportunities I've gotten to see um, uh, when I've gotten to see young people develop as leaders in the church and move into um, different sectors around the world to impact the world as young leaders in the world, um, whatever that might be, um, joyful opportunities, joyful experiences did happen. But, you know, I have to always be honest when having this conversation I have had more non-joyful experiences in the church than I've had joyful experiences in the church. And, and, and it's always so, um, you know, I don't think about it every day. I don't think, I don't sit on it all the time um, thinking about how um, this, am I just getting in my face? Um, thinking about how um, I, uh, um, you know, constantly um, have been at different times, depending upon where I was, barraged with um, people and or situations that were very racist, um, that um, oppressed me and my gender as a two-spirit person, that um, sometimes suppressed my leadership because I was too young or I looked too young or I spoke too young because I happened to work with young people. Um, whatever that might have been, there was always seems to be a challenge. Um, it always seems to be work. 
it always seems like because I was called by the creator, God, Christ, um, to work in this church, um, it really was double the work as a native person, um, as a Cherokee person um, in this space. And, 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 I, and I hate that. I don't, I don't care for that. I don't, it doesn't feel good. Um, I was sharing with Jason not too long ago, you know, the experiences I had in seminary, the experiences I had working for the ELCA, the experiences I've had working outside the ELCA, but still being a member in this church, um, and how, um, you know, I have learned over these years to deal with um, the things that um, the racist acts or the people who were attacking or who were just ignorant in their conversation to me or about me um, and how to handle that. The difference between me and maybe someone else for 35 years, I have been very practiced. I have been coached. I have been taught how to handle those types of situations and can take the brunt of that but I'm not everyone else. So I constantly think about my cousins. I think about all my other sisters and brothers in the church who come from different ethnic backgrounds, who come from different genders and sexual identities, or gender identities and sexualities, who may not have had the same opportunity to be coached and taught and warned and have a a host of of support around them to navigate what it means to be Christian in a church that is mostly white. And for much of its history, been led by mostly men. So I always, when I think about my journey and why the heck I am still engaged in this church, it has nothing sadly, to do with me and my experience and has everything to do with the people who come after me. That is a very native thing to say if you did not know that. My experience and my existence and my my journey here on this Mother Earth at this time is never about me, but rather how am I going to impact the seven generations that are coming behind me? I pray for those that seventh generation behind me today, just like my my ancestors prayed for me seven generations ago. And so we have this continuous circle of prayer for one another in Indian country, in our tribes, in our villages, in our communities. But I think that, um, well, I know that in our church, we don't have that same circle. We oftentimes are caught up in our Judeo-Christian culture. We're caught up in that Western culture, Western mindset of, of, of what does it mean to be me right now in time. doesn't mean that we don't acknowledge maybe who our grandparents are and not even know who they are. But we oftentimes give ourselves permission to not think beyond who I'm in relationship right around, um, who I'm in relationship with that is right around me. And it doesn't go in, we don't go into thinking about generational concern. When we go to church-wide assembly or we go to synod assembly or when we even go to worship on Sundays, we're not talking about seven generations in front of us or behind us. We don't do that. In my church experience at All Nations India Church in Minneapolis, we talk about that. But I'm a member at St. John's Lutheran Church here in San Antonio. 
which reflects the EOCA's whiteness. I'm probably one of 10 people of color who remembers there right now. And while I love the congregation and I love my sisters and brothers who are there and I love the music at my congregation, the reality is, is they're not talking Indian. They're just not talking Indian. I can handle that, but I have to adjust. They don't have to adjust to me and they never do. No matter where I go, I as a native person have to continue to adjust. One of the things that I get to do in this church is I get to work with young people. And presently, we call the program that I lead Otherwise. And Otherwise is a, or, um, is a new nonprofit um, that was birthed um, out of the work that I did as a youth director many years ago, but also as I um, served at LSTC's Youth and Mission Program, recreating a new way of thinking about how we do mission in the world. How we do mission in the world. Arbitrary numbers, but for the first 400 years that Europeans were on this continent, mission meant convert or kill the Indians. Period. That's what mission meant. Or convert or missionize someone else, but usually just Indians. That was the focus much of the time. And then for the last 100 years, mission means and has meant how do we help how do we give charity to? How do we, um, how do we help the poor brown and black people in our midst? But oftentimes it's not in our midst. Where when we say, how do we help the poor brown and black people, we mean out there, away from our community. We never, rare, rarely do we ever say, how do we help the people in need in our own community? And oftentimes, the people who are most in need aren't the people who are poor. Because the Bible tells us that those are the folks who are most faithful, right? The people who are most um, in need are the privileged. And the church doesn't talk about the people who are privileged being the most in need. We just don't do that. But the reality is, is that's the case from my perspective I often say that if you're going to do mission, don't do mission. Don't try to come and do mission in my community, a brown or black community, unless you're doing mission well in your own community. And as I redefine what mission means to be building relationships, you can't build relationships with people who are brown, black, or LGBTQ or other marginalized groups until you know how to be in relationship, until you know how to practice being in relationship with people who are different than yourself. So what is the need here? Yeah, certainly there's need for charity. There are poor people who need our our assist. But the reality is the biggest need right now is for people, usually non-people of color, white people, who need us to lead them through conversations about how to be in better relationships with people who are different than they are. And funny enough, not just for the sake of being in relationship with people who are different, but to be in relationship, better relationship with Christ. We don't talk about that. That is not normal dialogue. That is not what we're about as a church, really. We give some language to it. We call it accompaniment. I don't really use the word accompaniment. I don't use the word reconciliation. I think that that lets both of those words oftentimes are paternalistic. Um, 
and you know, maybe for lack of a better word, it's okay to use for now, but the reality is, is that it's paternalistic and it sets us up for failure because oftentimes the group that chooses who to be in relationship with still doesn't do the work they're supposed to do. We think that, we think that um, apologizing is, 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 is reconciliation enough. I just don't believe that reconciliation is able to happen beyond maybe one-on-one relationship building or or mending, I should say, or maybe a small group, a small group um, reconciliation, but a large group with um, a group like Native peoples in particular. I don't think it, I think it sets us all up for, for failure. I also think that I'm a part of this church still, despite all the things that I've experienced that have not been very good to me, um, is because the creator has called me to be. For whatever reason, the creator has called me to serve in the whitest church in the world. So I can only believe then that my, the, my part of my call is to be here to help white people heal. I am called to help white people heal. You'll hear a lot of dialogue when you engage with people of color, especially Native people these days. We were talking a lot about healing. I work for the National Native American Boarding School Healing Coalition. I'm not going to go into that history right now. I'll go into that later. Um, there'll be another session on that that I'll propose later. But I work in a, a healing organization. And so we, in, so in Indian country, we're talking about healing. How do we heal Native people? How do we heal the um, Native folks um, who are elders and ancestors or elders and, 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 and wise knowledge keepers um, to heal so that they can um, continue to help healing generations that come after them, right? Because um, we, we know that um, gener- generationally we pass down our trauma through our DNA and through our social constructs and through our behavior. So if we as Native people are continuing to need to heal from the trauma that we were, that, that we experienced and continue to experience from the hate and racism that's lofted onto us, then I'm 100% positive that white people and non-Native people need to heal from the hate, privilege, and racism that you or your ancestors have experienced. It cannot just be us healing. You too have to heal so you don't continue to suppress, oppress, and harm us and cause us any more trauma. And so I have to believe, I have to believe that the creator has placed me here to talk with folks, whether it be one-on-one or in, in, in situations where I'm gathered with folks in Zoom, um, where I see your beautiful faces or your names across the screen, um, but I feel like I'm talking to myself sometimes because it's all virtual. But I also use that analogy when I'm in person with people Um, gathered at the church-wide office or in congregations giving a workshop or working with folks who are coming through our program and otherwise or when I was in seminary or wherever I might have been, oftentimes I felt like I was talking to myself. 
And so how do we begin to open our ears? How do we begin to hear? How do we begin to listen? And how do we begin to heal? How do we begin to heal from all this hate and racism that we have been journeying with for generations now on Turtle Island, also known as North, now North as North America and the United States is included in that. So I'm just really thankful. I'm really thankful that there are folks like yourselves who are committed to continuing to learn, to continue your journey, uh, opening your hearts and minds. We, you may already be some way down the, somewhere down the road in your journey of compassion and your ability to seek justice and your ability to be an advocate and ally, but it doesn't stop. We still need for you to continue that work. For those of you who might be at the beginning of that journey, thank you for joining the journey this journey for justice, this journey for peace, this journey for allowing for all people to see Christ through you and your work as you bring folks to a place that's more um, Christ-centric and one that is more healthily aligned with the mission that Christ would have us be aligned with. I also would say as I get ready to finish here, um, because I could talk all day long about all this, um, and some of you have heard me do that in different places. Um, What I want to say is that um, we have the opportunity to do some great things in this church. But you have to begin the healing journey, as I've said, but also you have to get beyond the fear of doing the work. You have to get beyond the fear of building relationship with people who are different than yourself. And you have to get beyond the fear of what the system will do to you if you speak truth. That sucks, but it is necessary. Some of us whom you see on our faces on this on this on this Zoom meeting have been doing it for ages, speaking that truth, and it coming back on us in bad ways, unhealthy ways, harmful ways to us. But we continue to care for you. We continue to care for this church. We continue to care for this beautiful grace theology that we get to live in. And because of that theology, we are inspired to continue to glorify God and to lift up the work that we as Christian folks together as Lutherans can do um, for the sake of the world. Some of you may have may know the story of the National Indian Lutheran Board from our past and the work that, that they did um, in response to the call from the American Indian Movement. Um, we'll share some resources in relation to, to that. But we already have a precedent for this church to do amazing things with Indigenous peoples. We already have precedent um, and, and witnesses and heroes who are Lutheran, who stood up for the sake of American Indians and our civil rights, our human rights, our treaties. This is nothing new. We just have to step forward and do the work. I want to say thank you again for this opportunity. I love you all, and I want to wish you all well in your coaching opportunities, um, but I want to also wish you well in your journey for healing. 
Um, we need you to be healed so that we too can heal. Thank you very much. Thank you, Vance. Um, and for those who are able to stay on today, um, we're going to do something a little different at the end of the call um, with an experiment and an offering um, by Vance. So, um, and that's for continued learning. Um, so just to throw that out there. So we're going to do you into breakout rooms and then we'll bring you back a little early uh, for that. So you'll have a good 20, 25 minutes. Jill, do you want to share for a second while I do this? <laughs> so friends, as we move um, to our breakout rooms, um, as always, you will have to click the join button in order to move there. Um, for those of you that haven't done breakout rooms before, um, if you arrive and there's some sort of problem, feel free to click the ask for help button and um, either Jason or I will be able to join you. Um, and as, as Jason's getting ready to move us, I just want to say thank you again. Vance, I'll be happy to share the chat with you. You should see all of the, the beautiful comments. Um, yeah. And, and thank you for the opportunity to hear you today, to be with you today, and hope that you can feel our love to you. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, and I do feel that love. Thanks. Okay. If we're going to be a church that is committed to racial equality and equity for communities in the margins, um, then um, we have to continue to, 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 to be brave enough to do the next thing. And, and sometimes that means working on ourselves. yes, right? And some of you are leading congregations are worried about how we do that with our congregation. Um, but there are plenty of resources for us. And there are resources inside this church and tons of resources outside this church. Whether it be about, you know, want to learn about Native people, great, right? Or whether it be about our African-American, Black, African-descent brothers and sisters, Middle Eastern, Arab, you know, our Muslim community, um, the Muslim community in our midst, um, LGBTQ, it's all out there. I've worked in philanthropy. I've worked in the nonprofit sector. They're all there for your utilization to have these deeper conversations and know how to do it well. Both those of us who are professionals in the church can do it, but also other, other organizations can help us through these conversations as well. One of the things I would like to offer um, to all of us, because 20 minutes just is not enough, um, and, um, this, the ELCA coaching folks are going to partner with me and my organization, Otherwise, which is the cultural education and cultural immersion experience that I do with mostly young people, though I, I take adults too, um, and we do urban immersion in Denver. Um, and then borderland immersion right now in, in Texas. Um, and we'll be looking at an indigenous immersion experience in Albuquerque and the Pueblos. But some of you, like Pastor Clark, has had young people come through this program with me in Chicago and other places. And, um, but we've done it in Chicago and Mexico, um, other places on the border in, in, in El Salvador, in, in Cherokee Nation and Pine Ridge. Um, all that to say, I'm just saying we can do it. We do it well. Um, and so send your young people, but also come with them. Um, when, when it's time. Um, but, it, but in the meanwhile, what otherwise ELCA Coaching and another organization we're working with, um, the New Story Festival, we're going to host um, three more sessions that are an hour to an hour long, an hour long presentation, um, and then maybe stick around for 30 minutes for questions and answers if you want to type of thing. Um, one for the next, so one later in July, one in August, and one of September. Uh, and I'll be leading those conversations and presenting. And the first one will be on Indian 101, Native American 101. 
What is it that you need to know about us to help you on your journey to be a better justice seeker for indigenous people? And I'm going to pack as much in there as I possibly can. So get your pen and paper out, get your typewriters going, whatever it is you use, you know, get your recording device, all that stuff um, ready. Um, and then the second one I'm going to do in partnership with the organization I work with as well, which will be the Boarding School Healing Coalition. And I'm going to do an hour-long presentation on boarding school healing. Now, the Lutheran Church has a long history, and, I've, and, I've, and, and I'm one of those native Lutheran historians, right, who continue to tell the story of how natives and Lutherans were engaged over the centuries. Um, but what we don't talk about is how the boarding school era um, was, was supported by Lutherans, um, how adoption and, and, and not only adoption, but foster care also. And then lastly, we'll do... Um, um, some native and indigenous theology. So some of the stuff I put out there on generational um, generational relationships and shifting the way we think. Um, we'll talk a little bit about Vine Deloria Jr. and T. Tinker and Robert, Robert, Richard Twist and all those folks um, who continue to offer great wisdom around theology. We'll do that um, in, in September. And then, um, um, yeah, so we'll stop there. Um, there's, those are three of the things. I know we're about out of time, but wanted to invite you to that. Um, Jason and Jill will send out all that information, and they will also at the same time send out to you um, a list of resources, um, some, some books, um, a bookstore that's all by all Native people, um, as well as um, uh, some other uh, um, resources that will help you do a land acknowledgement and know whose native land you're on or whose stolen land you're on um, and a variety of other things. So just know that that's coming um, and that um, those will be helps along the way as well. I just want to say thank you, Wado, 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 for this opportunity.